0: Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com I feel like it's like that Spider-Man meme where they're all just pointing at each other. It's like, you, 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 where are we going? You have three kids. Yes, sir. What's the Spider-Man meme? I haven't seen Just a bunch of Spider-Mans pointing at each other. Oh, okay. I don't know. <laughs> you know, when they ask me, like, you know, what's it like working with Gus? I say, well, hey, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> Kid. Hey, welcome into the program. Uh, Joel show here and a big happy thanksgiving everybody i hope that you're enjoying uh your thanksgiving um and i very much appreciate you sharing your thanksgiving with me um okay we got a lot to get into we got like previews of games we've got to talk really just a couple of games and then some scenarios out there for like clinching scenarios for some of these champ games that have not been set yet um and listen, this is pretty obvious. I'm going to spend a ton of time on the game, right? Because uh, not only am I calling it, but it's the biggest game that we've had this this year in college football, and everything is at stake. So this is going to be uh, an incredible matchup. Now, if you haven't listened to... Uh, the previous two episodes this week, I highly suggest you go back and listen to them. I had, uh, some pretty strong reactions to what the playoff committee gave to us on Tuesday night. That was Wednesday's episode. So make sure to go back and check that one out. And remember, always like rate review us and, uh, subscribe to the podcast so that, you know, and, and download it as soon as they hit Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, every single week. That's how we have been rolling. Um, Let's get into it right away because this is going to take me some time. Let's get into Michigan, Ohio State, 11-0, and the game. Number three, Michigan. Number two, Ohio State. These two teams, first and foremost, get to this point as 11-0 and each. And it's only the second time that, that, that that's happened. Okay, obviously the 2006 game and then now this game and I just want to take a moment before I actually talk about the matchup and, and, and everything that's going to go on in the matchup because uh, listen, I've seen both of these teams a lot over the last couple of years and I've, and I've got a very good beat on what's going to go on on Saturday or, or what could go on on Saturday I don't know how many more times we're going to get this situation for this game okay, now uh, Hopefully a lot more times, but with the coming transition and change in the structure of the sport, I don't know how many times that we're going to get these two teams. Listen, they might be 11 and 0 at moments in the future and playing each other, but I don't know if everything's going to be on the line like it is Saturday because right now in the division format, winner goes to the big 10 championship game. Loser cannot win the big 10 championship. Um, In the future, if the Big Ten does away with divisions, these two teams might be playing this game as basically the first half of their eight-quarter affair if they're both headed to the Big Ten championship game, right? So then it could lose its luster a little bit in that regard. Um, As the playoff expands, even after the Big Ten uh, does away with their divisions, potentially, then... You could be sitting in a scenario where it's not just a question of whether both of these teams will go to the playoff, but a likelihood, and all they would be playing for is is seeding. And while that would be incredibly important, again, I just want to point out, we may not get this particular situation again in the future. So I want us all on Thanksgiving week to be thankful and grateful for what we have. This does not come around all that often. Now, do these teams play um, meaningful division championship games, often, yeah. I mean, we've seen this time and time again, in particular in kind of the the Harbaugh Meyer era, Harbaugh Day era. But at eleven and zero, it just feels different this year. And I, for one, am very thankful that we've got this matchup because when these matchups arise, you got to enjoy them. Don't take them for granted. And, and then really sink your teeth into them. So let's go. Let's get into it right now. Let's start with the biggest question of the game. The biggest question in the game is the running back situation for Michigan. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But it's obviously has to do with the health of Blake Corum. We saw him go down last week against Illinois. Didn't look good. Um Thankfully, he came back and was able to at least play, what was it, a snap in the second half of that Illinois game. And so it's like, okay, well, maybe he's okay. Then we saw him handing out Thanksgiving turkeys with his own NIL money, by the way, because Blake Corum is an absolute real one. But it it began the optimism for his availability and maybe even effectiveness in in this week's game. Now, do I think that he's going to be – full bore 100% Blake Corum? Mm. Probably not. Listen, I hope he is. I really hope he is. Uh but I I have my doubts about again his his percentage of 80%, 90%. Now is that good enough? Probably, cuz Blake Corum is is a real dude. Now, it gets compounded the Corum injury because of the health behind Blake Corum. Like Donovan Edwards is a really good back. I think everybody knows that he's versatile. He catches it really well out of the backfield. That's been, you know, well documented. He blocks really well in pass protection. Uh, he's a he's a heck of a runner inside and outside. So like, he starts at a lot of other places in the country, and his lack of ability or or absence, I guess I should say, last week against Illinois really affected them. To the tune that when both of those guys then were out of the game, Edwards from the start and then Coram in the second half, between C.J. Stokes and Isaiah Gash, they only averaged three yards per carry in the second half against Illinois. See, so like that's not going to cut it against Ohio State for reasons that I'll talk about a little bit later. So, so that's the main question of the game. And really the main question for Michigan in this game is, what are you going to get at the running back position? And right now, it remains to be seen. So we'll see how that plays itself out during the course of the week. There are, are, there are a few other guys on that offense, and let's focus on the Michigan offense a little bit more specifically. There are some other injuries that we just are going to have to wait and see. A.J. Henning was out last week. Uh, Trevor Keegan was out last week. Luke Schoonmaker was out last week. All of those guys and their absence really affected Michigan's ability to play efficient football in the second half of that game. I think that that was very clear. You saw Isaiah Gash out there in meaningful situations, caught the fourth down ball, which was – fantastic by the way dropped one on the previous series that would have been a sure touchdown Andrell anthony dropped a fourth down pass down the sideline that would have been a huge touchdown and maybe even salted the game away at that point um in terms of how the game was was playing out roman wilson had a drop right so like their their efficiency on offense was not great and and i I'd expect him to be more healthy. I think that we're going to see a lot of those guys back on the field. We'll see how healthy and how effective they are. Now, before I get into what is the most important unit for Michigan's offense, let me quickly talk about J.J. McCarthy. And really, with J.J. McCarthy, it comes more in the form of a question. And the question is, can J.J. McCarthy be the catalyst to a Michigan win? We don't know the answer to that and we won't know the answer to that until it's it's proven out. Now I think he played pretty well against Illinois, but there were some some play calls and some strategy that were limiting limiting the reliance on JJ only, right? You know, like going for field goals there which was the correct strategy, you know, was was exactly what they should have done. And and it was an acknowledgment that like listen, we're probably going to struggle in the red zone as we have at times during the course of this season. And so our best option is just let's take as many field goals as we can and eventually catch up and eventually beat Illinois, which they eventually did. That's not an indictment necessarily on J.J. McCarthy, but it's it's certainly out there. Okay, We thought, I thought, a lot of us thought, that Jim Harbaugh and this Michigan coaching staff were going towards J.J. McCarthy because he was going to provide a higher ceiling than what they had last year with Cade McNamara. That was the conversation last year when McCarthy was just a young player and, and starting to get some snaps in key situations. And it was like, when are they going to go to J.J.? Because he clearly raises their ceiling. His athletic ability, his arm strength, his ability to throw the ball down the field. It's going to give this offense a different dimension and we thought that that was going to happen when McCarthy was then named the starter. And it started too early, but it has since kind of uh, deteriorated, to be quite honest with you. So J.J. was supposed to raise the ceiling, and then all of a sudden you look up, and in the last three games, he's throwing the ball for under 50%, or right around 50%. A little over 50% against Illinois, under 50% in the in the previous two. Well, that's a concerning deal, uh, because... In the event that Corum is not healthy, that Edwards is not healthy, or that the run game is ineffective, you're going to need a quarterback that can go out there and be the catalyst to a potential win. And, And we don't know if McCarthy can go to that level. So that's a question mark going into this game. Now, very talented player, made a really... Well, a few really key throws in that win over Illinois in comeback fashion. I think that's going to give him a lot of confidence moving forward. So that'll be interesting. I do think that he's going to need to be uh, more of a threat with his legs in this game than maybe he has been in previous games. And remember, with Cade McNamara's health um, being what it is and him not being available, they don't have a lot of depth at quarterback, which means that they have not wanted to expose J.J. McCarthy in the run game very much. So now in this game, when they absolutely need it, does he play more of a factor? We'll have to wait and see. Okay. On the outside, they need somebody to step up, not named Ronnie Bell. Ronnie Bell is, as they affectionately call him, the junkyard dog, right? Like he's blocking out there. He's doing everything in his power to potentially win. He's a great leader, and he's a terrific player, and they're going to rely on him in big moments. They need somebody else to also step up, whether it's Roman Wilson stretching the defense down the field, Andre Anthony, in and the few opportunities he does get, capitalizing like he did last year against Michigan State. They need some of that to, to to step up on the offensive side. Now, what does Michigan have to do offensively? They've got to run the ball. They've got to run the ball, not just because that's what their DNA is, but because that's how you beat Ohio State. The last two times we saw Ohio State get beat, it was primarily because the opposition was able to control the terms of the game with their rushing attack. Oregon did it to the tune of 269 yards, and then Michigan obviously famously did it last year, late November in this matchup, to the tune of 297 yards. Both of those teams ran it for over seven yards per carry. You've got to control the terms of the game. You've got to limit the number of snaps that their potent offense gets, limit the number of snaps snaps that C.J. Stroud gets, and you do that with a quality running attack. Well, how does that quality running rushing attack take shape? with a great offensive line I believe that Michigan's offensive line is better than what they had a year ago okay now while they struggled a little bit in the second half against Illinois obviously health at the running back position was affecting that This group up front is very good. They're very physical, and they've got a a, a nastiness about them that they think that they can run the ball against any front regardless of how many guys are up there. Right? That's a powerful thing, that kind of self-belief, and this group certainly has it. The key up front for them is their center. He's their best player, um, at least on their offensive line. He was a graduate transfer from Virginia, Olu Oluwatimi. 100% their best offensive player lineman and an excellent player a great leader and he sets the tone for them up front so watch how he plays early okay now let's move over to Ohio State's defense I told you I was going to take some time on this and I'm going to okay so Jim Jim Knowles comes in to transform this defense this is a defense that gave up over 200 yards rushing in the first two games last year and then the last two games last year in between that they felt like they had fixed it a little bit Did you know that going into this matchup last year, Ohio State had given up only, what was it, about 74 yards per game rushing in the previous nine games? Think about that for a moment, because then Michigan just hammered them inside, and it was a lot of the same players that we're going to see in this matchup. I went back and looked at my boards, and I was like, how different is the lineup? from last year to this year for Ohio State's defense and I can tell you this it's virtually identical save for basically two players there's only two players that I feel like are are, are really contributors and that that didn't really play a part in last year's game and that's and by the way they're two very important pieces defensive tackle Michael Hall Jr. And, and one of those three safeties the transfer Tanner McAllister who was at Oklahoma State last year other than that it's the same guys out there, right? It was Tommy Eichenberg and Steele Chambers and Cody Simon out there. They were struggling with health and depth at the linebacker spot. By the way, guess what? They're still struggling with depth at the linebacker spot to this moment. Their safeties weren't great last year, right? They they got absolutely crushed physically in that game. And it's a lot of the same players. A lot of the same players. So this is going to be personal for the Ohio State defense, in particular for their front seven. I'm looking at these guys like Teron Vincent, Jerron Cage, Ty Hamilton. These guys that are going to get snaps and maybe significant snaps. Ty Williams, even the youngsters, Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimolo Al, Zach Harrison. These guys are going to have to play really well because this is absolutely the best offensive front that they have faced, and this is the biggest test that they're going to have faced. Tommy Eikenberg has been playing with basically two broken hands. I don't know how he was left off of the butt kiss uh, finalist list. that's that is such an oversight. And again, these awards they can they can frustrate me greatly. And this one is is one of those. Tommy, Tommy Eichenberg should abso, absolutely be a Buckus finalist. He's not. He's got over 100 tackles so far, 105 tackles, two and a half sacks, 12 tackles for loss. He's got an, an interception. He scored a touchdown on the season. He's the heartbeat of the team. He's their leading tackler. He's been doing it with basically two broken hands. And it's a defense that has improved drastically from a year ago. So definitely should be up for those awards. What's one of the things on this Ohio State defense that I have been interested in seeing, and that is how good are the corners? And yet, there haven't been a lot of teams that have threatened or really challenged the corners on the outside. That's been surprising to me. Penn State did it a little bit. I thought that they should have done it more. I think that Michigan needs to challenge the corners for Ohio State. Um, You've got to throw some of those deep shots. And it also is going to work in Michigan's favor to do that because they need to soften up that three-safety look. It's a defense that is highly reliant on the disguise. They do it as well as anybody. They confuse the quarterback, force the quarterback to pat the ball just once so that the rush can get home. That's one of the reasons why Oklahoma State last year under Jim Knowles was one of the nation's leaders in sacks. In fact, led the nation in sacks per game. And that's one of the reasons why they're so much better this year. They confused the opposing quarterback. So J.J. McCarthy is going to have to be dialed in to what he's seeing and and understand that that picture is going to change from what he sees pre-snap to what he sees post-snap. Biggest key Biggest key for Ohio State, I believe, is going to be Michael Hall Jr. It's going to be those defensive tackles. It's going to be Teron Vincent and Jeron Cage. These guys have to hold up against the run because the more resources that you have to commit to stop the run, then what you're going to do is that you're going to open up some of the play action. You're going to open up the ability of them to throw the ball down the field in one-on-one situations against those what I would consider untested corners. Those guys up front have got to play really well. Now, that position group, the safeties are going to have a huge hand in that. They're not just secondary players. They're going to be down. They're going to be run defenders as well. So I'm looking at Lathan Ransom, Ronnie Hickman, Tanner McAllister. Those guys are going to have to play really well, uh, obviously. JT Tuimolo Al, if there was ever a time for him, as he did against Penn State, to really show out and be a dominant player, this would be it. He's got to play well uh, for Ohio State. Let's move over to when Ohio State has the ball. There's talent everywhere for this Buckeyes team. C.J. Stroud, he is, you know, if Caleb Williams loses to Notre Dame and C.J. Stroud has a quality day, C.J. Stroud's probably going to be your Heisman Trophy winner, right? He's had that that good of a season. Now, he's got great talent around him. Marvin Harrison Jr. is an absolutely fabulous player. He's, he's the best position player, non-quarterback, that I've covered in my career dating back to, you know, Chase Young. Now, I haven't seen everybody in the country live and covered them, but he's certainly one of the best that I've ever seen. There are questions, however, similar to Michigan about the running back position. Ohio State is struggling with the health of their running back position just as much as Michigan is. And right now we're going to see, or this week we're going to see, exactly how healthy Mayan Williams is, Travion Henderson is, but there is a difference between Ohio State's run game and Michigan's run game. Twofold. Michigan relies on their, their run game much more heavily than Ohio State relies on theirs. And yet, Ohio State has more answers past those top two guys in the depth chart. You see, while C.J. Stokes and Isaiah Gash were running for three yards per carry against Illinois, albeit a very good defense, Dallin Hayden was running for, what, 146 yards last week? So now all of a sudden, you're establishing depth. So Hayden goes 27 carries for 146 yards. So Ohio State's going to be feeling better about their depth at running back than what Michigan is going into this game. Now, when it comes to the run scheme, this is a team that needs to get more downhill. When they get more downhill, they're more successful running the ball. When they're more successful running the ball, they become much more dangerous throwing it with the addition of that play-action pass. They get the deep overs. They get the explosive pass much more often off of heavy play-action than they do straight drop-back. Okay, And when you get them into a one-dimensional game, then they start to struggle a little bit. That's why the run game is important to them. And that's why I think that they've got to really major in going downhill. Now, why don't they major in going downhill more often? Well, there's actually a specific answer for that. They run the zone scheme and more specifically the stretch zone scheme more often because their run game is more predicated on quick tempo than it is just dominant offensive line play. They get their explosive runs through quick tempo. They make a first down, they come up very quickly, and they hand it off. Well, why do you have to call a stretch zone or a zone again when you're using quick tempo? Well, because it doesn't really matter where the defense is because you're blocking an area, not a specific man. If you want to come up and get downhill and run a counter scheme or a gap scheme or a man scheme like Duo, it's going to be harder because if the defense isn't set based on your quick tempo, then I can't get a cornerstone piece to start my count to target them as an offensive line. So that's why you're going to see a little bit more stretch and a little bit more zone out of Ohio State, even though I don't think their offensive line is as good doing it then they are getting downhill. But that's why you see it is because that's kind of how they build themselves into successful run plays. Those explosive runs are incredibly important so that they can get to throwing the ball down the field. If they don't have that, it becomes the Marvin Harrison show. They're going to need a Buka to step up. Obviously, and they're going to need Fleming to stop struggling with drops. So that's what you've got going on on the offensive side for Ohio State. One huge key for them. Can they execute in the red zone? The games that they struggle are always the games that they have to settle for field goals in the red zone. It's one of the reasons they were struggling against Penn State. It's one of the reasons they lost last year to Oregon and to Michigan in this matchup. So you're going to want to see how are they executing in the red zone. This Michigan defense has a huge task in front of them. Huge task. Last year, they played really well. Now, they gave up some yards here and there, but you got to understand that the strategy and, and the goal and the point of the way that you play defense against Ohio State is that you've got to make them snap it time and time again. You want to make them snap it 10 times rather than allowing them to score in six, okay? Because the more times you're forcing them to execute, the better for you. So the number one thing that Michigan has to do defensively, tackle well. Because tackling well limits the explosive plays, and it increases the number of snaps that Ohio State has to have in order to score. So Jesse Minter, the defensive coordinator, knows that a big reason why Michigan won a year ago is because they tackled so well, in particular in space and in particular from the secondary. That needs to repeat itself if Michigan's going to have a chance in this game. The other thing that has to happen is that you've got to take away that run game that I was talking about for Ohio State. Even though Ohio State doesn't want to major in running the football, you do have to take it away so that they can't get to the play-action pass that then becomes their explosive ability down the field in those deep over routes in the passing game. So it's imperative, imperative, that the front seven play their best game of the season. I'm looking at guys like Mozzie Smith, a defensive tackle. Mason Graham, the freshman defensive tackle. That defense is built so that those guys can be a run wall. Well, they've got to be a run wall this week to stop that that run game to prevent some of those explosive play-action passes. The front seven has got to be able to stop the run or at least control the run game, force Ryan Day into passing game on base down, while not committing extra resources to do it. This is the challenge. Because if you commit extra resources to stopping the run, Ohio State will just kill you throwing the ball. Because now you're in one-on-one situations with guys like Marvin Harrison Jr. And that's not advantageous. Plus, if you're having to commit extra resources, Ryan Day will get a beat on what you're doing and what you have to do, in particular on first and second down, and he's going to hurt you. Because there's not a better play caller in the country, very few. At a minimum, that are better than Ryan Day building themselves into success. So you've got to change up the look. And part of that is being able to play with two safeties back, match up underneath on those wide receivers, get your hands on them, play physically, and yet still control Ohio State's run game with your defensive front seven or six, depending on the personnel group. That's really where the game is won and lost. Okay, so that's why I think the most important players for Michigan aren't even actually the individual secondary players. It's actually the front seven. Mozzie Smith, Mason Graham, those guys up front, they've got to play amazing this week. I'm looking at guys like Michael Barrett and Junior Colson, Jimmy Rolder. They've got to play great. Jalen Har- Harrell, Yabi Oki, Mike Morris, Braden McGregor, Derek Moore. You get in the game, and they've got to be physical, and they've got to answer the challenge of stopping that run without committing extra resources to do it. Then it becomes about changing up the coverage. you got to change up the coverage, and then in obvious passing situations, likely double-team Marvin Harrison. I'd be shocked if Marvin Harrison doesn't at least have a safety over the top of him in obvious passing situations. So that's the goal for this Michigan team. you got to limit explosive plays by tackling really well, and then once you do that, maybe you can get one of those four-point plays. What's a four-point play? A four-point play is when you get a third down stop in the red zone and force a field goal. So it goes from potential touchdown to a field goal, and that's so important. That was one of the big reasons why they were able to win a year ago. Yeah, There was one moment that Ohio State, I believe, had first and in goal inside the 10, got a penalty. Then all of a sudden on third down, Hutchinson gets a, st- a sack, and it goes from first and goal to settling for a field goal. That is a massive, massive win for a Michigan defense in that situation. There's three things that have to happen if Michigan wants to beat Ohio State. Ohio State has has more talent. They're at home. They're favored. If Michigan wants to pull the upset, they've got to do three things. Three. They've got to, number one, outrush Ohio State. You've got to control the terms of the game. Control the time of possession. Limit the number of possessions the opposition is getting. That's number one. Number two, you've got to limit explosive plays. Tackling well and limiting explosive plays is generally going to bring the yards per play for Ohio State's offense under seven and a half. If you can hold them under seven and a half yards per play, you've got a chance. Then you've got to force them to kick field goals in the red zone once they get down into that area. The teams that beat them usually hold them at 66% touchdown percentage or lower, Oregon and Michigan. There was only one team that last year was able to do all those three things and still lost the game to Ohio State. That team was Nebraska. Nebraska was three and nine did all those three all those three things and that's why they played a one-score game basically with uh, Ohio State late into the fourth quarter. So all of those things have to take place if Michigan is going to win. If Ohio State wants to win, here's what they have to do. They got to be physical. They've got to answer the bell of playing physical against Michigan because right now Michigan's players and roster is very confident that they can go out there and out-physical the Buckeyes. You know why? There's only a handful of Michigan players that have even lost to Ohio State. There's, There's even fewer, I believe only two, that have actually played in the shoe. They don't have much scar tissue. That COVID year, not playing a game and then beating them last year, it basically turned over the entire roster. This is a Michigan team that in 2019, before COVID, Every single player on Michigan outside of the true freshman, all they had experienced against Ohio State was losses. Now you've got a roster where the overwhelming majority either hasn't played Ohio State or all they know is that they beat the Buckeyes. So the mental game... And belief for Michigan is way different now than it was in 2019. You can basically put those previous 10 years away and say, what is it right now? Well, right now, it's a confident Michigan bunch that thinks that they can push around Ohio State. So Ohio State has to answer the physicality of Michigan, and they need to do it early in this game. Stop in the run, run in the football. If they can prove that early, then the Buckeyes have got a great chance. A great chance. <gasps> It's a lot on that game, wasn't it? Guess why? That game is awesome and epic, and I can't wait for it. Ginny won't be there, sadly, but Gus and I will be there, big noon Saturday, at the Shoe, getting ready for that epic matchup. Okay, let's move on. I'm going to quickly go through some other scenarios and one other game uh, before we get out of here. Let's, let's Let's talk about this Notre Dame-USC game quickly. First and foremost, here's what you have to understand about USC. There's nobody in the country playing better currently than Caleb Williams. His last five games have been outstanding. All right, 406 total yards averaged in those five games, 23 total touchdowns, only two turnovers. On the season this guy is having a a, a marvelous season and the way that he's playing late in particular on a stage like he had last week against ucla this is why he is firmly in the lead right now to win the heisman trophy if he beats notre dame and oregon he's going to win the heisman trophy okay he's he's playing that well and they need it and that's part of the reason he'll win the heisman trophy if they win these last two games is because they need every single yard okay think about this team They got that performance from Caleb Williams, over 500 yards of total offense. Their defense got four turnovers, and they only won by three. Okay, so the margin for error for number 13 is very small. Very small, and I think people are starting to acknowledge that. This is the number two total offense in the country. That shouldn't surprise anybody. That's exactly where, where Lincoln Riley should be. I think everyone's surprised that it's happening this quickly. When Caleb Williams breaks contain of the pocket, watch out. I've never seen a quarterback better outside of contain except for maybe Patrick Mahomes. That's how dangerous Williams is once he gets outside. Because of his ability to throw on the run, It's as it's as good as I've ever seen. Now, this USC defense is a problem. Okay, they got four turnovers and gave up 45 points to UCLA. I will say I think UCLA is is a much better team than people are giving them credit for, but this USC defense in their what last five games, here's what they've given up from a points perspective. 43 points, 37 points, 35 points, 17, but that was to Colorado and 45. So, Notre Dame is likely going to be able to score some points. Why are they likely going to be able to score some points? Well, because it's not just their ability to run the ball. They've also gotten their offense to a point. Well, it is their ability to run the ball, but they're playing so much better as far as, as scoring offense goes. Okay, so... If you look at six of the last eight games, they've run the ball for over 200 yards. What has that allowed them to do? It's allowed them to control the game, and it has allowed them to increase their points per game over the first six by a significant margin. In their first six games, they were averaging 24 points per game. and their last five, 40 points per game. So this Notre Dame team is is rolling in hot. They're rolling in with a good physical run game that that in the last, you know, what, six of the last eight, they've run for 200 yards. It's a defense for USC that's not great. This is going to be another close game, and Caleb Williams is going to have to play a marvelous game, and he's going to have to do it against the best passing defense that he's seen this entire season. Notre Dame's pass defense is 16th in the country right now. You know the last time that Caleb Williams faced a defense that was this good, at least a passing defense that was this good? It was Iowa State late last year. Now, Oklahoma won that game, but do you know what Caleb Williams' line was in that game against Iowa State? He was 8 of 18 for 44 yards, or excuse me, 44% and 87 yards through a pick in that game. I did that game with Gus. Okay, so this is the best defense, pass defense, Caleb Williams' has faced since that day. Now, I think he's a different player. We all think he's a different player, but it remains to be seen. And when the margin is so thin, I think that we can anticipate that this is going to have to be an epic performance from Caleb Williams in that offense, and it's likely going to be a very close game. It could be a frustrating day for Caleb Williams. Can he go out and win 27-24? We'll have to see. I think that we'll have to see. I am going to pick USC in that game. What I saw last week, in particular at practice, and then during the course of the game, was a team that really believed that they were going to win, and they were going to win somehow, some way. Yes, they gave up a lot of yards. Yes, they gave up a lot of points, but they were able to get those turnovers and ultimately win the game. Let's talk some scenarios really quickly. The team that USC will end up facing in the Pac-12 title game. Okay, Who could that be? Well, uh, here are the scenarios for those watching the show. It's up on the screen. I'll run through them here verbally as well. Oregon is in with a win so they control their own destiny or uh, a loss plus a Washington loss. So they can still lose to Oregon State and and go, but they control their own destiny so it's just win in Corvallis and go to the Pac-12 championship game. Now, Washington can still go to the Pac 12 championship game if they win. Plus, Oregon loses and UCLA loses to Cal. I know that's a lot, but now we're getting into some like real tiebreaker issues and everything. There is one more team that is also still alive, and that's Utah. Utah would have to win. Oregon State would have to beat Oregon. UCLA would have to beat Cal. And Washington would have to beat Washington State. So of all of those scenarios, what's the most likely? Well, the most likely is just that Oregon continues to play well. They go on the road, and even in a rivalry game on the road, they get a win. I'm going to pick them to beat Oregon State this uh, this week. It showed me a lot that they were able to bounce back and beat Utah. Uh, last week, and I think that they're going to win, although that's going to be very difficult against Jonathan Jonathan Smith's Oregon State team. The next like- likeliest scenario is that Utah beats Colorado, Oregon State beats Oregon, and then UCLA beats Cal, and then Washington beats Washington State. At that point, you're basically just talking about favorites with the exception of Oregon State beating Oregon. So I think that you're, you're Two most likely in the Pac-12 are Oregon if they win, and then after that, watch out for Utah. Okay, let's move to the Big Ten and those scenarios. We know what the Big Ten East is, obviously, win and in for either Michigan and Ohio State. But outside of that, on the West side, it's a little bit more tricky. Iowa controls their own destiny, so they win and they are in. They're playing a Nebraska team that, again, is not playing that great. Now, Iowa can also go... If Purdue loses and Illinois loses, is that likely? I'm not sure. You know, Purdue plays Indiana, so let's move down now. Purdue goes if Nebraska can beat Iowa and Purdue can beat Indiana. Uh, and then Illinois also still alive. They've got to win, and then Purdue and Iowa all have to lose. That one's a little bit more cleaner than the Pac-12. I, I'm expecting Iowa to win. Their offense is actually playing a little bit better. Don't look – I know, like, hold the phone. Iowa's offense is playing just a little bit better. I didn't say well. I just said better, right? And so that's take from that what you will. Their defense though is outstanding. I don't see how Nebraska beats uh Iowa. That game is I believe in Iowa City. Let's move to the Big 12. This one is very clean and very easy. Kansas State, you win, you're in. You lose, then Texas has to has to win against Baylor and they would go. It's that simple in the Big 12. TCU is in. They will face Kansas State in a rematch if Kansas State wins, and they will face Texas in a rematch if Texas wins and Kansas State loses. Folks, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for spending time with me on this um, amazing day. I'm I'm so thankful uh, for this sport and for its fans, you, for listening to this podcast, supporting this podcast. I've had a ton of fun doing it This in, in our first season. We've become the number one podcast in the college football uh, space because of you. So thank you so much. There's a few other people that I also want to thank. Obviously, like my wife, she's so supportive. I'm so thankful for her. So Sarah, um, thank you so much for everything that you do for me. And then everybody that's involved with this show. Uh, I'll thank my crew when we get there on Saturday in Ohio. But for this show specifically, um, Steve and, and, and Catherine, you guys are amazing. You have to deal with me, which is not easy. Late emails. You guys do an amazing job. This show would not be what it is without you. So thank you very much. And everybody else that supports it from uh, our technical uh, folks, uh, everybody on the social side that's posting things, you make all of this work. Uh, We are number one in college football because of you. So thank you so much for your hard work. Very grateful for it here on a Thanksgiving week. Okay, you can follow the show at Joel Klatt Show to check out all of those uh, folks and their hard work there. You can follow me on Twitter at Joel Clatt or on Instagram at Joel underscore Clatt. Remember to rate and review this thing, subscribe to it, download it, make sure you know exactly what's going on in college football. Remember, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, it's the Joel Clatt Show each and every week. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving, everybody.